And if you will, please take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We are in a series of expositional messages from the Gospel of John. And our text for the morning comes from the middle portion of John's Gospel introduction, namely verses 10 to 13. John chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. John writes, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, in order to understand these particular verses, I think we need, again, to see the connection that these verses have with what we've already discussed in verses 1 to 9. If you remember this introduction or prologue to John's Gospel, is essentially one unit of thought from verses 1 all the way to verse 18. And this one unit of thought gives us the sense of John's introduction to his Gospel. And it might be good for us to recap some of the things that we've been learning already from our previous studies in this Gospel account. So look back at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, referring to John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now with what I read in verses 10 to 13 and then just now in verses 1 to 9, you can see, I think, some contrasts with John, which John speaks of in these verses. Notice a couple of them with me, positively. The Word. You see that listed there? The Word. The Word of God. The Logos of God. The Creator of the world. Very positively, John tells us, life-giving source. He was life. The sustenance of men. The sustainer of men. The enlightener of men says he is the light, the true light, the light of men. He's the world maker who comes into his world, the creator coming among his creatures. Those are all the positive things that John speaks about here. But then he also speaks about some very negative things that we read, didn't we? The world of darkness, darkness of man, symbolizing metaphorically the sinfulness of man. We also see here negatively, the world did not know him. The world did not receive him, even his own people. We see also negatively here the enlightened man, because it says that he enlightens every man who comes into the world. The enlightened man is also the rejecting man. Even though man is enlightened, he rejects the light. So the message for all of us, therefore, is very, very direct and incredibly straightforward. It's a very simple message this morning. Jesus Christ is the creator of mankind. But the created world, speaking of mankind as Jesus' own created beings, has turned their backs on their creator. The Apostle John has also told us that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, enlightening everyone who comes into the world, but mankind refuses to acknowledge and live in light of the light of the world. And this world is made up of the darkness of sin. 
And instead of embracing our Creator as Creator God, man, quite frankly, does the opposite. Creates everything in his own image. Am I getting a little bit of feedback? Maybe you could turn it down just a tad and we'll see how that goes. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Thank you. And instead of embracing the light, as I said, the light of the world, the one who has come into the world to bring order to the world, to dispel the darkness of the world, is instead himself rejected. I mean, it's a very, very sad thing we're reading about in that sense. That God would have been so loving, so kind, so gracious to give us a sense of how we are to respond to our Creator with that same love, with that same graciousness, with that same receptivity. But instead, there is a dishonoring and a rejection. And frankly, beloved, this is the, this is the theme of every Bible book writer we could read. Including, for instance, the Apostle Paul. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. And I'll show you that Paul is essentially, with different kinds of language and terminology, saying the very same thing that John says. Look at Romans chapter 5. This is what Paul says to echo what John is talking about right here in John 1 as well. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam of course, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You could use this very truth of this passage and say, that's what John is saying. Jesus came into the world... A world of sin that had fallen into the darkness because of the curse of Adam's sin. This original sin of Adam that plunged the rest of us as human beings into sin. And then death through sin and death spreading to all men because all sinned. Darkness. Rejection. That's what Paul is saying here. It's so bad in fact. Look at chapter 3. It's so bad that Paul quotes from several Old Testament passages when he says in Romans 3.10, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's a very, very sad picture, isn't it? This world of human beings who are the rejectors of their creators. And even if you go back a couple of chapters to chapter 1 of Romans, we find the same thing. This is Pauline language that substantiates John's language here in John 1. In chapter 1 of Romans verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If you want an illustration of this, it's as though mankind, every single one of us, has within our hearts the knowledge of the truth, and it's as though our hearts are like a box of truth. The truth of our awareness, our knowledge of God. And what we do in the deep recesses of our hearts, this truth box as it were, is that we want to stand on the lid so that the truth cannot come out. We want to suppress the truth. And Paul says we want to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What kind of truth? 
Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, he's shown the truth, not of everything about himself, but generally speaking, he's given us a general revelation of who he is. He's manifested himself to his creator, to his creation as the creator, and therefore this truth about himself is in our hearts, and we want to stand on top of the lid in the box of our, our heart to repress, to suppress the truth about God being plainly evident to us. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. See, Paul's talking about creation himself as well. Verse 21. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. Paul using this same metaphor as John does. The darkness and futility of man's heart. These invisible attributes, his eternal powers, divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and in the things which have been made so that mankind is without excuse. He has no excuse to make. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. God creates these things for us and man turns around and sees what God has created and then he begins to see the very creation as something to be worshipped. And so he concocts all of, of these creations of themselves resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles and instead of worshipping and honoring the God who actually created those things that we look at and we construct and we paint and we forge, we actually do all of those things and then worship the creation rather than the creator. No wonder... Paul says in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. In the original text, for the lie. For the lie. What is the lie? The lie that Satan has foisted on the world, that he deceived Adam in so thinking that the creation itself is to be worshipped and not the creator. That's the lie. Because he says, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So God gave them up. Gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with the women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. That's that darkened mind again. To do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Incredible. Incredibly sad, isn't it? This is, this is Paul's comment. And if you go back to John chapter 1, it's as though John were saying in chapter 1 in this prologue, I agree with that. I agree with that. Paul's right. And all the biblical writers give the same testimony. God created his creatures. The creatures reject their creator. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness shuns the light. It's been given so that it may continue to operate in the darkness. What, what a sad reality. And that's why the message this morning is astonishingly simple. It's really simple. 
Even though you and I as human beings who are created in the image and likeness of God have nevertheless fallen in Adam, being sinful creatures now ourselves, bringing the entire human race into the bondage of darkness and sin, that's what Adam's plague did for us. And we were there in his loins so that we as a people are hopelessly mired in darkness. The darkness of sin, the darkness of misery. And yet, even though we live in dark sin and misery, God holds out the promise that if we come to the light, the light of men, His light will dispel the darkness. There is an answer. There is a, there is a hope. There is a wonderful, beautiful conclusion even to the darkness of our sin and our, and our misery. And I suppose that John uses, as well as the other Bible writers, this metaphor of light to speak of a number of things. Light speaking of purity, holiness, brilliance, radiance, enlightenment. We saw that, didn't we, when we talked about Jesus being the light of the world and I challenged all of us to see this light of the world as the only one who can dispel the darkness, the darkness of our, our sin and our, and our misery. That's the whole point of the Apostle John writing as he does about the light to give us hope in the midst of, of darkness. Look at verse 7 of John 1. This is the hope. John the Baptist came to testify about the light. Why? For what purpose? Verse 7. So that all might what? Believe through him. Through John's witness. Through John's testimony. God put him on this earth as the forerunner to Messiah to announce that the light of the world had come so that people through the forerunner's witness and testimony would say, the light has dawned. The light has dawned. The Messiah is here. Look at verse 9. The true light enlightens every man. I think John is essentially referring in this enlightenment to the fact that Jesus as the true light of the world comes into the world and who as the light of the world causes a massive distinction between the enlightened truth of God and a world of darkness. That's what he means. I think that's what John wants us to see from that phrase. So if you're taking notes this morning, two very, very simple points. Here they are. The rejection of the light, verses 10 and 11, and the reception of the light, verses 12 and 13. Very simple, very straightforward. The rejection of the light, John tells us in verses 10 and 11, and the reception of the light in verses 12 and 13. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 together for our exposition. He was in the world, John says. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now when you read those words, isn't this an amazing parallel to the first part of, of verse 3? You see it there? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And now John says, again, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. In fact, he's going to say in different language about three or four times in this prologue alone that Jesus is the creator. He was in the world. He made the world. There was not anything that was made in the world that he didn't make. He's the creator, God. The eternal word came into the world. The word that was with God. And the word himself was God. And this word who made the world was in the beginning with God. And look at verse 14. 
And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's exactly what John is saying here in verse 10. He was in the world. He came to be in the world that he himself created. You might even be able to change the description of Jesus from the Word to the light in verses 9 to 13. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He, the true light, was in the world. And the world was made through the true light, yet the world did not know the true light. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive the true light. But to all who did receive the true light, who believed in his name, the true light gave the right to become children of God. The Word, the Word who is God, the light, the true light, the one who enlightens every man who comes into the world of darkness. That is to say, the true light has come into the world to dispel the darkness. He came to bring the truth of God's saving activity to the world. And what's John's comment on it? And the world did not know it. The world did not know it. You say, well, that means then that it's simply or merely a knowledge problem. That's all. They just need to know. Now, you know that's not true. You know that's not true. I know that's not true. You know what we we want to say about this word know here in this verse? It is a culpable ignorance. It's a culpable ignorance. We don't know because we don't want to know. That's the point. We don't know because we don't want to know. You and I, as I read from Paul's letter to the Romans, this this falling into the world of sin that Adam brought us to and that we ourselves in the loins of Adam's uh, loin of Adam, we were sinners both by constitution and corruption. We are sinners by both nature and choice. It is our nature to sin and we proceed from that nature to continue to sin. Because we're sinners. That's who we are. That's what we are. We are prone in this culpable ignorance, this this knowledge of ours to reject the truth because we're not ignorant of it as though we didn't know the facts about it. We reject it because our foolish hearts are darkened to the truth that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. You may have known, even from your own experience, when the light dawned in your heart, when the light came on and you realized, I I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I do sinful things because I've got a sinful heart. And I'm now realizing for the first time that the light has been shed upon my sinful condition and I now realize that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. This is is the world to which Jesus came. And what kind of darkness are we really talking about here? It's a a culpable ignorance to be sure. But listen to what John will go on to say in John chapter 3. From the very lips of Jesus himself. John 3.16. Most famous verse of our Bibles. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's, That's that hand of salvation that is offered, that is put out for us, this world of darkness, that whoever believes in him, the true light, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's this use of the word world. It just means the world of sinful humanity. And here's what God did in his grace and his mercy. He created us And he expected us to return that gracious favor of his in creating us with honor, with praise. And instead, because of Adam's sin and our sin in Adam, we decided to reject the truth with culpable ignorance. And what we've done then is to say to a very gracious offer like that, no thank you. No thank you. 
even though God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through this true light coming into the world. Through Him. Jesus said, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already. Why? Why is He condemned already? Because he's in the world, because he's worldly, because he's in Adam, because he's a sinner by constitution and corruption, by nature and by choice. He's condemned already. And, and why is this so? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. There it is again. The light comes into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. This is an amazing indictment. This world to which Jesus himself created and expected a love response instead receives nothing but rejection and the reason why is because this darkness loves itself, it loves the dark, its deeds are evil and they reject the, the, the light. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Remember the truth box? Just standing on the truth box. Nailing it down shut. Because I don't want the truth out. Because if the truth gets out about me, then I'm exposed. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried on in God, wrought in God, manifested by God. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. This continuing theme of light and darkness, John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You'll have life, eternal life, forever blessed life. God blessed life. But verse 13, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. You see, they are representative of this world of darkness, aren't they? And they, they reject him. And Jesus answered, verse 14, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, I'm the light of the world, you will die in your sins. John chapter 12, verse 35. John's not finished speaking about the light of the world, using this metaphor of light and darkness. And in chapter 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. He's stumbling around. He's falling but while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You see, he's given us an out. An out of the darkness. The dispelling of the darkness with the true light of the world. That's why I came. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 
And the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. What is that judge, Jesus? The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. I came as the light. You didn't want the light. You wanted your darkness. You wanted your sin. You wanted your life. You wanted your lifestyle. You wanted what you wanted. And you didn't want to thank the Creator for creating you. And you made all kinds of of, of mortal man images and reptiles and beasts. And you wanted to worship them because you were content worshiping the things that were more like you and not God. Over and over again, John records Jesus' words to substantiate the truth of his being the light of the world. Yet men reject the light of the world. So I ask you this morning, do you reject the light? Do you reject the light, Jesus Christ? If you do, it's because you walk in the darkness. And you don't want your deeds exposed. Even the light's own people, the Jews. That's what it says right here in John 1. He came even to his own people. And they didn't know him. And they didn't receive him. It was a culpable ignorance. It was a darkened mind rejection. And this is the rejection of the light. This is the sadness of the truth of the condition of mankind. And yet when I read in John 3 and John 8 and John 12, I didn't come to do this. I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came so that the world might be saved from the darkness because the light will dispel the darkness. Don't you want to see where you're going? You don't want to stumble in the dark, do you? You don't want to trip and fall to perdition. But they do. They do. It's in their hearts. It's their nature. They're corrupt. And that's why they reject. That's the rejection of the light. Now look at the reception of the light, verses 12 and 13. But, oh, I love that contrast. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become what? Children of God. Children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And I want to exclaim to you as loudly and joyously as I can. Yes, it is true that there is the rejection of the light and we've seen it. But there is also the reception of the light. And we see it right here. It's true. It's reality. It's happening. God is doing something in this wicked world of darkness. And that is what? Receiving people into the light. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you so thrilled about that? You were in the darkened place of your own wicked heart standing on the truth box just like I was. Not knowing God, not wanting to know God, with a culpable ignorance, with a corrupt nature, with choices that were clearly evidencing a heart that didn't want to know God. And I was rejecting Him out of hand Even though I knew he existed, even though I knew his divine attributes were being clearly seen so that I would not have any excuse but to know that there is a God and that he is the creator and that I should be thankful for my creation. And that condition was shown to me. It was shown to me. It was shown to my heart by God himself. And that's what John is saying here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the opportunity, the privilege of becoming children of God. So there are those who reject and those who receive. That's why the title of the message this morning is Believe and Receive the Light. 
It is a possibility. Think about it. God creates His world. The world, through Adam's sin, rejects God, rejects the light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ Himself. And if God were to have willed it so, He could have said in His eternal plan, that is it, every single one of these creatures that I've created, every single one of them without distinction, every man, every woman, every child who will ever live in my world will stand condemned forever because that is my righteous judgment. And he would have been totally righteous in doing so. Completely honorable. Because he's the creator. And he commanded us to worship him and to thank him and to love him and to respond to him and obey him. And we said no. And if he were to have said no to us, he would have been totally righteous in doing so. And that would have been the most sad reality of all that you and I would have done that to the very one who created us. Oh, I know that there are people who say, well, that seems harsh, that seems vindictive, that seems as though God was capricious and arbitrary, that he created a world and then he allowed sin to enter the world and then sin spread to every man and death from that sin. Why did God even allow that in the first place? God's supposed to give us forgiveness, right? Isn't he supposed to be in the sin-forgiving business? Isn't that his job? My friends, if, if we have that kind of view of God, we have a very poor one at that. Why? Because as these passages that I've read about the light, the light came into the world to save the world, to redeem the world. There was no arbitrary, capricious God who was saying to us or about us, well, you messed up, you tripped up, you're done, that's it, it's over. And every one of you, I'm not going to choose to save any of you. See there? No, not at all. Even in the plan of God from eternity past, even upon the creation of the world and when sinners entered that world, and even in the plan of God before the foundation of the world, there was a blessing in disguise. That the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, the Eternal Son, would enter into this sinful world and would himself take on flesh and dwell among us and would live a sinless life because God knew that you and I were living only a sinful life. And we needed the substitute. Someone who could sacrifice on our behalf who had no sin. And when indeed he did die on that cross for sinners like you and like me, the whole plan hatched in the mind and counsel of the will of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was to choose those from eternity past who would be saved. The Son would redeem that humanity of those who have been chosen and the Holy Spirit would seal them unto the day of redemption. And God said, I'm going to show the world my love, my regard, my kind disposition, my disclosing to them that even though the world of darkness is there, God loves the world. And that He gave His only begotten Son, the only Son of His love, the only one of His kind, His beloved. And He allowed Him. No, He put Him, God did, the Father, on the cross. Being separated from Him at that time, so that the bowl of the wrath of God's judgment would fall upon His Son, and that there would be a separation between the Father and the Son so that the Son could pay the penalty of the sins of a dark world that you and I actually deserve. And when the Son paid the full price of the penalty for our sin, 
He embraced us because of His love. In obedience to the Father and for and by the Father's will. So that at some point in time, like my experience and yours, I trust, God chose to open our eyes to dispel the darkness and to give us light. And He did. And it is glorious. Because we know now that the darkness has been born by the Son of God and His death on Calvary. To as many as received Him. How did they receive Him? What does it say here? Look at your Bibles. Who believed in His name. His name is the totality of who He is. The totality of His person. The Savior. The Redeemer. The Lover. The Judge. The Lord. The Christ. The Messiah. Who believed in His name. Who believed that Jesus was the one who died on that cross. Was the one who was raised from the dead. Was the one who was seated at the right hand of the Father. Interceding for us. So that we might become the children of God. He's the Son of God. We become children of God. He's the unique one. He's the divine Son. We are children of God. Now, I know someone's going to say, wait a minute. Theologically, preacher, you spent the first portion of your message talking about the fact that man's heart was darkened. You read Romans 1, Romans 3, Romans 5. Man's heart is dark. He can't respond to the light. In fact, he's not only not responding to the light, he's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. He's standing on the truth box. There's no way that that guy, whoever he is, and it's all of us, could ever respond on his own. So how is it that somebody believes in his name? I mean, if I'm walking down the road of destruction, if I'm walking into a dark alley and I'm going to inevitably stumble and fall, then how could the light ever come on by my own choice, by my own initiative? I am guilty and sinful by choice and corruption and nature. And so how could the light ever come on? And John anticipates it. And this is what he says. Who were born, what? Not of blood. Not of blood. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. You were not born of God. Do you see it? Who were born of God, not by blood. It's not because of your family heritage. That's what he means. You remember when the Jews said to him in this passage, John 8 and then also John 12, wait a minute, we have Abraham as our father. As though that gives them the automatic end of the kingdom. We're Jews. God chose the Jews. We're in. What did Jesus say? You're of your father, the devil. He wasn't calling Abraham the devil. He was saying, since you are sinners by choice, by corruption, by nature, by culpable ignorance, you are actually of your father, the devil. Satan. Satan himself. And anybody who would try to claim parental heritage, family heritage, somebody who would say, well, wait a minute, I've got to be a Christian because my parents were in the so-and-so church. Presuming that just because I might walk into a restaurant, I'm a sandwich. No, it's not of blood. It's not because of your family heritage. That's not going to get you into heaven. That's not going to make you a child of God. It's not of blood. Secondly, he says, nor of the will of the flesh. It isn't because of your own human decision making. It isn't because of your parents. It isn't because of your own initiative. It isn't because of your own family. It isn't because of any of those things. And then he says, nor of the will of man. It isn't because of your father's will. Presumably, this would mean uh, your father 
He was the one who led the family. He was the one who said what the family did. He was the one who was in charge. And if the father says, we're all Christians, well then I'm a Christian because my father said I was. I'm a Christian because of blood, because I'm of Jewish ancestry, because I'm in, because I'm Abraham's child, because uh, Moses is the, the leader of the law that I try to live under. Or it's just really my own decision making. I'm born of God because I want to be. I'm born of God because I took the initiative. I asked God to open my eyes and he did so. But wait a minute, I quoted, paraphrased from Ephesians 1, that if we're chosen, if we're elected by God before the foundation of the world, you weren't even around. You weren't even around. So who, who's doing this? this? This reception of the light. Who, who, who turned the light on? What does the text say? Who were born of whom? turned the light on. God took the initiative. God did it. His will. This is exactly what Jesus is going to say to Nicodemus in chapter 3 when we get there in a few years. <laughs> he says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So if someone says, no, it was the will of my flesh, Jesus says, no, uh, the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. It's of the Holy Spirit. You're born of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. Opening your eyes to the truth. Don Carson says, another way of describing those who receive the word is suggested by the children of God metaphor. They are children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband or father's will, but they are born of God. New birth, he says, is finally nothing other than an act of God. It's an act of God. God has done it. It's his will. It's his grace. His mercy, His initiative, His plan, His purpose, and His glory. His glory. Now do you know why? When Peter and James and this author, John himself, were standing with this man, Jesus, on this mount, and they looked this way, and then they looked again this way at Jesus. And before, when they saw him, they saw a man. And then when they saw him, as they turned, he was transfigured before them. With what kind of white hot light? The kind of light that no man on earth could bleach any more whiter. No wonder they were terrified because the light had exposed their darkness. Remember Peter was in that boat and God also was in the boat and God stilled the storm and what was Peter's reaction? Lord, get away from me. Why? Because I'm a sinful man. His, his first recognition about himself with the miraculous in his boat. I'm undone. Remember Isaiah's vision? I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, what did Isaiah say about himself? I'm a man with a dirty mouth. And I live among a people with dirty mouths. Lord, shield me from yourself. This is too high. This is too lofty. This is too grand. This is too terrifying. Why? Because the light is in your midst. And when Peter says, let me tell you about my experience on the mountain in 2 Peter 1. I want to tell you something that's a sure prophetic word. It's the word of the living God which you've heard today which is like a light, a lamp shining where? In a dark place. I trust that maybe that's what's happened today. If you don't know Jesus Christ, the light shone in your heart, the light 
of the face of Jesus Christ calling out to you to receive him, to believe in his name. Not because of blood, not because of the will of the flesh, not because of the will of man, but of God. And if God has done that in your hearts, I want you to bow together with me. And as you do, I want to ask you if indeed this has been done. The first thing you ought to do is praise Him. Is to be on your knees before Him. Thanking Him that He just opened your eyes to the truth that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is truth. He is life. He is light. He's come into this world to save sinners like me, like you. And He reaches out with the hand of salvation, deliverance, the dispelling of the darkness. And if indeed you have been in that state, that condition of darkness, call out to Him, thank Him for the light, thank Him for the dispelling of the darkness, and say, I embrace you as Savior and Lord. I want you light in my life. Thank you for causing me to be born again from above. To be born of God. If you are someone who has already received the light, aren't you so grateful for the years that the light has taught you and illumined your way? You can praise Him as well. Let's together, as professing Christians, thank Jesus Christ for the light. Lord, we do that in so many ways. But one of those is even by our giving, our offering to you. And as we receive this offering now and as the men come, we pray that this would be of the very act of worship, maybe even for a brand new Christian to say, this is my first act of obedience. This is my first opportunity to show that the light has come into my life. And as we sing later and fellowship afterwards, may we rejoice in this light that our eyes have been opened and that Jesus Christ is precious to us. In His name we pray. Amen.